talking in Joshua chapter 3, and uh, tonight we're going to finish up chapter 3 and chapter 4 in its entirety and just talk about moving forward by faith. We know that we cannot stay still in our walk. When we stay still in the Christian walk, it's really like walking backwards. It's going backwards. We need to be moving forward in our faith. And God's wanting to challenge us all to move on to maturity. Now, some are mature by age, but Scripture is talking about spiritual maturity. And there's a difference in that. Now, we would hope that if we've been believers for a long time and we're mature age-wise, that we would also be mature spiritually. And I believe God expects that of us. I believe God expects us each day to grow in Him and to walk in Him and have our faith increase in Him. How many understand that? It's a daily walk with God, and God's expecting us to move on to maturity. But tonight we're going to talk about the second and third point that we began last week. In Joshua 3 and 4, God illustrates for us three essentials for moving ahead by faith and claiming all that He has for us. There's three essentials. One is the word of faith. We talked about that last week, receiving that word from the Lord, that instruction from God, and understanding how important it is to obey God, to obey what he says, and to get our feet wet, right? To get in the Jordan River, to move out, to do it, and to believe God, even though we don't know exactly what God is going to do, he just says, prepare, prepare, sanctify yourself, get ready. And so we have to, we learned that last week, that word of faith, how important it is. And Pastor reinforced in his message this past Sunday because he talked about, you want to know God's will, you want to hear God's voice, read the word. God is showing us already the things that he expects us to do, the, the attitudes he expects us to have, the actions he expects us to take. God has shown it to us in his word. And there is a lot in the Bible. How many know what I'm talking about? Some people get caught up in all the extra biblical things that, that it capture their attention and, and intrigue them and they want to know and all of this stuff. But I always thought to myself, there is so much in the Bible to obey. I mean, we could spend a lifetime digging through just the Bible just to obey the words of God in the Bible alone, let alone looking for some special revelation. So we talked about the word of faith. Tonight we're going to talk about the walk of faith and the witness of faith. The word of faith last week dealt with the first 13 verses of chapter 3. When we hear the word of the Lord, we must obey. We learned this. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but obeying in spite of consequence. All right? That was a big thing. We also learned that living faith always leads to action. It's not enough to just say we believe or just claim Jesus as uh, that we're Christians, you know, we're a cross or or, you know, we just we we show up. It's it's about living it out. It's about putting faith into action. That's when we become disciples. We hear the word of the Lord and we do something about it. Then we're a follower of Jesus Christ. So tonight we're going to move on to the walk of faith and the witness of faith. So first, the walk of faith, and you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn to Joshua chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 14 to 17. You that are watching online, you can follow along in your Bible and go there, and let's see 
what God would say to us tonight. I just want to pause for a moment, but we'll just ask God's blessing over this word. Father, we thank you, God, for the opportunity to share the word together. We pray, God, that you would make this so alive to us, Lord, that it would be buried deep into our hearts and transform us, that we'd be obedient to it, God, and that, Lord, we would, we would reap the reward of that obedience, O oh Lord, as we apply this to our life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse 14. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Now, this is an incredible story, first of all, because we get the idea at this point in history that God is a God who likes to part waters. You know, he likes to make no barrier. And there's a the water is a great barrier. How many know that water is powerful? Anybody here ever been at a at a, a river that was overflowing or flooded or or moving fast? Have you ever seen that? That is powerful stuff. Uh, there was a time in Pennsylvania, the Allegheny River overflowed and we saw that and it was you know houses were like coming off the riverbank and floating down the river that's how powerful that was is incredible but god is a god who likes to divide the waters he's a god who's a god of the impossible amen he does god-sized things and he says no water is going to stop my people there's no barrier that is going to keep my people from claiming the inheritance that i have promised them Somebody needs to get that in your heart tonight to understand that you serve a God who has made promises and he intends to keep them. You look around and you see things in the way. You might see a river. You see an obstacle. You see a barrier. It looks insurmountable. And not only was there a river, but it was at flood stage. It was at overflow time, right? This river. But you have to understand tonight that no matter what it looks like in front of you, God has promised you the inheritance, and he will make a way from you to get from point A to point B. Especially when he's called you to it and you step out into obedience. Most of the year, most of the Jordan was about 100 feet wide. Okay, now you might, you know, at 100 feet, you might take a risk and go, okay, we're trying to get 100 feet. You know, we'll get a rope. You know, we'll get a chain of human beings. We'll do something. We'll get across this river. You know, we can get to this other side. But during flood times in the spring... The banks overflowed, and guess how wide the river was during flood stage? 300 feet? That would be a great guess. It was a mile wide. A mile. That's a long distance for a river, okay? A mile wide. When the priests who carried the ark touched the edge of the water with their feet, the miracle began. When they walked out the faith, when they heard the word of the Lord, and now they walked out the faith, and they walked it out. I love this. As soon as they got to the edge, 
the water started to dry up. The water was dammed up for about 20 miles away. Unless we're willing to step out by faith and obey his word, God can never open the way for us. This is a quote from Warren Wiersbe, who does the study that Pastor and I are using for this series. We need to be willing to step out by faith and obey so that God can do what he does. The crossing of the Red Sea pictures the believer being delivered from the bondage of sin. That was the Red Sea with Moses. And the crossing of the Jordan River pictures the believers claiming their inheritance in Jesus Christ. These are the great lessons of these two rivers. One is a river that leads to salvation. The other is a river that claims the inheritance. How many know it's wonderful when we get saved? Man, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, there's a great crossing of a Red Sea. There's a great river. You pass from death to life. God saves you out of the bondage of slavery to sin, right? And he leads you into, into everlasting life. That's wonderful. But how many know it's not enough to just stay as a baby Christian, just to be born again, just to, just to be there? God expects us to grow into maturity, and he claims there's an inheritance for us beyond just saying, hey, I'll give you eternal life. Now God has so many more promises for the believer. God has so many more things that he wants us to experience in our life. He wants us to have understanding. God wants us to know him. God, God shares with us his secrets. God shares with us who he is. There's so much to know about our God. It's so wonderful. And so Lord wants us to claim that inheritance which is ours as the children of God. Joshua is a type of Jesus Christ, our conqueror, who leads us from day to day into the inheritance that he has planned for us. It would be a shame for us to wander aimlessly and never claim our inheritance. How many want to be a Christian that thrives? You want to be a Christian that is living a full life. That is our mission, so that everyone can have a full life in Jesus Christ. That's the mission of this church That means every person, whether you've been a believer for a long time or whether you're far from God and you're outside, but you come in one day looking for the message that would change your life. Every one of us, God has a full life for us, and that is our mission. God wants you to live it. First Corinthians chapter two, verses nine to 12 says this. That is what the scriptures mean when they say no eye has seen, no ear has heard and no mind has imagined. What God has prepared for those who love him. How many believe that? You believe that our God is a God of great promise. Our God is a God of great treasures. He's a God that has so many things prepared for us that we can't even imagine what God has prepared. Uh, now, when we think of that, normally we think of it in terms of heaven, right? We think of it, well, it's, it's stuff I can't see yet. It's the things that he's, he's gone to prepare a place, which heaven's going to be amazing. Isn't it going to be amazing? But I believe that God has an inherit for, inheritance for us right here and now. Right now, as we live, we don't wait to start living in Christ Jesus. We begin to live in Christ right now. As soon as we place our faith and trust in him, he calls us into a walk of faith that we can begin to live right now. And it is the daily discoveries of the mysteries of God and the incredible things that God can can show us and give to us on a daily basis that he has for us. No mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets 
No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. Mark that down, 1 Corinthians 2, 9-12, because it's worth going back and meditating on and praying on and claiming for your life. God has fundamentally made us a new people. We are a new Christian. How many know that? The old is gone and the new has come. And God has truly made us a new creation, a new creature. Not only do we have our thoughts, the Bible says, and we can only know our thoughts. No one else knows our thoughts. That's kind of private between us and God, right? Nobody can know God's thoughts either, that God has his own. But yet our God chooses to share with us his thoughts. Our God shows us the secrets and the mysteries. That, to me, is mind-blowing. And God does this for us. If this ever screamed out that you can have a personal relationship with God, these scriptures do that. You can have an intimate relationship with God on a daily basis. That's your inheritance. Claim it. Don't let anybody tell you that God is far away, that God is unknowable, that God is unreachable, that God you can't, you can't get to know God that way. That is false. The Bible tells us the truth, and it's based on these verses. So, church, can we begin to walk in faith? Can we begin to step out and do the things that God has said and begin to see those promises fulfilled in our life and experience that deep relationship with God? How many are hungry for a deep relationship with God? Wow. You're going to need it. You're going to need it in your darkest hour. You're going to need it in this journey of life. You're going to need the Lord to be the most intimate relationship you have. When all lights go out, when all friends fail you and disappear and abandon you, Jesus Christ will never, ever abandon you. He loves you and he's there forever. And your relationship with him is so important in your walk. And then we move on to the witness of faith. Joshua chapter 4. Verses 1 to 24. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now, choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, Go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder. Twelve stones in all. Now, when you're carrying a rock on your shoulder, you know this is a big rock, right? (laughs) A heavy rock. All right? One for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So the men did as Joshua had commanded them, and they took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and constructed the memorial there. This is really curious, verse 9. 
Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan, at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. The priests who were carrying the Ark stood in the middle of the river until all of the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joshua were carried out. Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed. And when everyone's safely on the other side, I like it, the Bible says, they hurried across the riverbed. God's doing a miracle, but let's get going. Let's not test him, all right? We've got to get across this river. I like that. I can hear them now. Hustle up, hustle up, guys. Hustle up. All right. And when everyone was safely on the other side, the priest crossed over with the ark of the Lord as the people watched. The armed warriors from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh led the Israelites across the Jordan, just as Moses had directed. These armed men, about 40,000 strong, were ready for battle. And the Lord was with them as they crossed over to the plains of Jericho. That day, the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. Remember, he said he would do that. And for the rest of his life, they revered him as much as they had revered Moses. The Lord had said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant to come up out of the riverbed. So Joshua gave the command. And as soon as the priests carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came up out of the riverbed and their feet were on high ground, the water of the Jordan returned and overflowed its banks as before. The people crossed the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. And then they camped at Gilgal, just east of Jericho. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future, your children will ask, What do these stones mean? And then you can tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. Now there's so much in these 24 verses that we're not going to be able to exegete every one of these verses perfectly tonight. But I believe this is what God is saying. You see, the Lord was in complete control of everything that happened at the Jordan River that day. The Lord was in complete control. Think about your life. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know there have been times in my life that I was wondering, what is happening? I'm out of control. I can't do anything. I'm trying. I'm Actually, how many of you are with me on this? Sometimes you try to, to fix things and you make it worse. You go about it the wrong way, you lack skill, you lack knowledge, you're just doing your best as a human being, but you're floundering around and you wonder what's going on. I just want you to know that God is always in control. Sometimes we can get out away from him and we don't obey him and we don't wait for him and we don't listen to him and we don't do what he says, but I want you to know that his word is there and you can walk in obedience to it. And you can watch as a witness to what God has done. And you can see that he is in control. So when you're tempted to lose control, and you're tempted to try to fix things on your own, and you're tempted to try to make sense out of things on your own with your own understanding, don't lean on your own understanding. 
Just know that our God is in control and that you stand on his word and you become obedient to it and watch what he'll do. And then don't forget what he did. And remember that he's in control. I think that's such an important lesson for all of us. This is what worship is all about. We remember what the Lord has done and we praise him for it. When we came in tonight and we sang these songs, Pastor Anthony led us. It's, it's not only just, you know, oh, that's a great song. Oh, I love those words. Let me just worship God. But worship is about remembering the deeds of God, remembering the goodness of God. Remember what God has done for us. You, maybe your mind went to the place tonight while you were singing those songs that, that you remember the time when you gave your life to Christ or you remembered something recently that God had done and he had blessed your family, he had blessed your life, he did something, he opened a door for you, he, he rescued you, he, he gave you a wisdom, he gave you an answer to something, he, you, you understood something that you never understood before. God shared with you a secret, something. And tonight when you were worshiping God, he just brought that up in your mind. And you're saying, oh, thank you, Jesus. God, you are so good. You're so good to me. There's no one like you, God. And that's what worship is all about. It's about remembering what God has done. This is so important for us human beings, why we have a tendency to forget. It's part of being human beings. It's part of our limitations. How many of you have been forgetting things that you didn't mean to forget? How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? And... Uh, when we got COVID in December, I got to tell you, it affected my brain. I don't know what happened there, but they call it COVID brain. You know, even as you're getting over it, it's like your mind is not as sharp. And there was words, I couldn't remember words, and suddenly I'm stuttering over words sometimes, and I'm like, what is going on? I'm just getting, recovering. I'm recovering, okay, at this point. But I got to tell you, our mind, we're not guaranteed. I mean, tomorrow we could all lose our mind. We're not guaranteed. Why? We're still trying to study all that stuff. But you see, our God is a God who has done great things. And he had the Israelites set up these memorials to help them remember. How many of you put reminders around the house to remember to do things? You ever do that? That's a great thing. I never did that. I always tried to go by memory, you know, and that doesn't work. Because you forget half the task that you were supposed to do, right? And uh, I remember Kathy's dad, my father-in-law, he was always on the ball. He was just so sharp at, at never forgetting anything. I mean, he remembered the little details about the things you said, you know, uh, that you liked something or that you wanted to do something. And he'd always remember it. And he always had his task done. And I'm like his son-in-law going, man, I can't live up to this guy, you know. <laughs> my father-in-law. And I'm like, oh, I'm married to Kath. That was her dad. And oh, man, you know. I told my neighbor about it. I said, my father-in-law, he's just perfect. He never forgets anything, does everything my my neighbor he didn't cut me any slack though he goes okay when are you gonna step up you know that kind of thing I'm like oh man shut up dennis you know <laughs> just play ping pong all right <laughs> but he would do that and he would challenge me but i, I gotta tell you I, I found a secret about my father-in-law one day i was at his house and uh, i went into his office and all over the refrigerator and all over the bulletin board were little notes to remind him of the things he wanted to do I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. It's a sticky note. I mean, that's what he would do. And he didn't rely on his own memory. He put sticky notes. And he had a pretty good memory. But he put sticky notes everywhere to do it. And I think this is what God was doing with these stones. It was like the ultimate sticky note. <laughs> he, was, he was putting these stones there. And they set up those stones so that the people would not forget what God had done. And he wanted it to be passed from one generation to the next. 
He didn't want the parents and the grandparents to forget to tell the children about what happened. With those rocks, he guaranteed that the kids would ask. It would be an impression. What is that pile of stones for? And the kids would ask, what happened here? What's going on here? And then he would say, that's when you get to tell them that God dried up the Jordan River. This is where we crossed. This is where it began. We began to take this inheritance that God had promised us. This is what God did. And then they would have to know that God is a great God, that he's a God of miracles, that he's a great, wonderful God. And this is what God wants us to do, too. So, folks, if you've got to start doing sticky notes, it's a good plan. Remind yourself of what God has done and make it intriguing enough that even your children would ask you, what's that note about? What's that book about? Maybe you have a book that you put out that changed your life and you keep it where the kids can always see it. Why is that book always there? How about the Bible? That'd be a good one, right? I'll have the Bible around. Be reading it. What is this about? And that's what worship is. You see, the stones were placed at Gilgal. One man from each tribe waded into the river, and when they got to the middle, they each picked up a large stone, and they carried it on their shoulder. And it doesn't say this in here, but according to the, the place names, the distance was eight miles to Gilgal where the camp was. Now, <laughs> how many have ever walked eight miles, let alone put a big stone on your shoulder for eight miles, all right? I got to tell you, eight miles, that's a big hike. Uh, we once took a, a mission trip from this church with a group of people down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon to the Havasupai Indian Reservation. And we got up to the top of the trail, and it was an eight-mile trek down to that village. And i got to tell you something. We got there about maybe 3 in the morning because it was hot, and we had to start our hike at 3 so we wouldn't, like, you know, dehydrate and pass out, but, you know, halfway down the trip. But we would do that, and we'd, we'd arrive maybe by 10, 30 in the morning, 11 a.m., down to the village. And that was a long hike. And we had all kinds of packs, but I cannot imagine carrying a giant rock on my shoulder for that distance. That's a tough one. I got to tell you, that was a journey in itself for these men, one man from each tribe. Remember we talked about this last week? Not all tribes were the same size, but there was one to represent each of the tribes. And these guys carried it. Now, I know back in those days, they were really men's men. You look in the Bible and you can see kind of the warriors these people were. They were tough. They were strong. I believe there's a, in the Bible there's a story about a king who wore a crown on his head that weighed 75 pounds. Imagine a crown on your head that weighed 75 pounds. You have to have a strong neck for that. All right? But these, these guys were tough. But still, eight miles to where Gilgal was and where the camp was. This location was only about two miles from Jericho. Gilgal would become a very important place for Israel. There they would crown their first king. In 1 Samuel chapter 11, at Gilgal, David was welcomed back after Absalom's rebellion was subdued in 2 Samuel 19. Samuel included Gilgal in his ministry circuit in 1 Samuel 7. In the days of Elijah and Elisha in 2 Kings 2, there was a school of the prophets at Gilgal. And it was the place Joshua used as his center of operations, Gilgal. Outside of the Transjordan region, Gilgal was the first territory in Canaan that the Israelites claimed as their inheritance. This was a starting spot. This pile of 12 stones would remind the people about what God did, that Jehovah was still their God and that he was working wonders on their behalf. 
The next generation would see this great pile of stones as a witness of faith. The Jews were very good at reminders. Good thing, because they were also very good at rebellions and disobedience. (laughs) Does that sound familiar? (laughs) We're very good at that too. So they were very good at reminders. Notice verse 24. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. God had these stones as a witness of faith. God wanted the world to know that his hand was powerful, and he wanted his people to fear him always. Joshua put an obligation on his people to be a witness to the whole earth. The God who can open the river is the God everybody ought to fear, love, and obey. How many know there's only one true God? This world has a billion gods. The people of this world, they worship all kinds of false gods and false idols. There's only one true God. Only one. One true God. And that's what, the world, that's what our God wants us to do. He wants us to be witnesses of him so that the whole world will know that there is only one God who is worth fearing, loving, and obeying. The Israelites were to fear the Lord their God in such a way that everyone else on earth would believe in his power. Here is a God who cares for his people. He keeps his promises. He goes before them in victory, and he never fails. In all this, Gilgal serves as a strong warning to us. Unfortunately, in time, instead of moving forward in faith, the people of Israel would sin by worshiping at Gilgal and making it a shrine rather than worshiping in Jerusalem where God wanted them. We can see that when the kingdom was divided. Israel worshiped at Gilgal instead of in Jerusalem. The prophet Hosea spoke these words in Hosea 4.15. Though you, Israel, are a prostitute, may Judah not be guilty of such things. Do not join the false worship at Gilgal or Bethaven, and do not take oaths there in the Lord's name. Mm. If we do not teach the next generation about the Lord, they will fall away and start following the world. That's just the bottom line. This is our responsibility. Second thing is Joshua sets up the the monument in the middle of the river in verse 9. God did not instruct Joshua to do this. Notice there's nowhere that God told him to do this. This is why it's curious. But he didn't rebuke him for doing it either. When Joshua went in the river and and he set up those stones, it must have seemed curious because who could have seen it underwater other than God? You know what I mean? After you set up the stones in the middle of the river, nobody's going to see that. Only God. But Joshua did it. However, knowing it was there, must it have reminded them that their old life was buried and they were now called to walk in the inheritance in their new life. In the same way, we who have claimed the victory in Jesus Christ over our old way of life must not go back to our sins. We must go on in our new life. We need to do that. And we need to remind ourselves of what God has done. Romans 6, 1-4 is a great reminder of it. It says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since you have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? 
Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. We need to remind ourselves of this. We don't go back. We go forward in faith. Our lives are a witness of that faith to the world around us as we live this new life. In Joshua 5, we're going to look even closer at this when we talk about circumcision. That's coming up in two weeks. We've been thinking about a graphic to use for this. I told Pastor I got a samurai sword at home that we might bring in. I think John Cazell mentioned an axe tonight when I was talking to him about it. From this point on, whenever the Jewish children would ask about the stones at Gilgal, their parents would remind them about the miracle that God provided in allowing them to cross the Jordan River. However, they would add, but there's another monument in the middle of the river where the priests stood with the ark. You can't see it, but it's there. It reminds us that our old life has been buried, and we must live a new life in obedience to the Lord. Now, this is a message, church, that we need to carry out, that we need to teach the next generation. And i got to tell you, we shouldn't wait until they're teenagers to teach them this message. This message needs to be taught to them as little as we can teach it to them because they need to hit in their heart. That we're different. We're a peculiar people. We've been chosen by God. We don't live the old way anymore. There's a different way that we live than the rest of the world lives. It's because of what he's done for us. And this story in the Bible helps you to teach that. It helps you to illustrate it. It helps you to show them what God has done and what God has said and what God expects of us. So use Joshua chapter 4 when you teach the children. Use it when you talk to your family members and remind them about how God has called us into a new life. Wearsby notes this, there is nothing wrong with memorials provided that they don't become religious idols that turn our hearts from God and provided that they don't so link us to the past that we fail to serve God in the present. Glorifying the past is a good way to petrify the present and rob the church of power. That's powerful. The next generations need reminders of what God has done in history, but these reminders must also strengthen their faith and draw them closer to the Lord. And that's got to be our goal. So when we do talk about the past, don't just talk about the good old days. Don't just tell them and glorify the past that they think, well, that's, that's, I'm, I can't relate. That's not me. That's, you're old. You know? that's, that's your generation. You're old. That doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. No, when you talk about the past, apply it to the present. Say, what God did for me, God can do for you. Here's, where, here's your circumstance. Here's what you're facing and dealing with in this world. But if God did it for me in that time and in that day, God can do it even more so for you because I believe you're facing unique challenges, different challenges than what I faced. But if God did it for me, he can do it for you. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Our kids need to hear that. More than ever, don't you think? especially right now. And God needs us to be attuned to these things so that we can apply them and pass them on. If you want to claim your spiritual inheritance in Christ, believe the word of faith and get your feet wet. Step out and walk in faith. 
God will open the way for you. Surrender yourself to the Lord and die to your old life, and he will bring you into the land, and he will bless you. Remember what he did in being a witness of faith to everyone who will listen. Your life and your words testify as a memorial stone. You and I are the memorial stones. How many know the Bible says that we are the stone, we are a stone in the Lord's building, right? He is the cornerstone, but we are stones in his temple. You and I are a memorial. Our life is a witness. That is why God has called us ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are salt and light in this world so that people will know him. Amen? Amen. I want you to bow your heads with me for a minute. We're going to ask the Lord to just put this message into our hearts. Lord God, we come to you tonight. And we just thank you so much, Father, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for your word, which speaks to us so powerfully about faith. About hearing your word and about walking in it. And then witnessing about it. Lord, we thank you, God, that you have brought us to this place in our lives, in our family, to this place. Lord, some of us may be facing some very difficult challenges, some disappointing circumstances, some confusing times even. But Lord, we know tonight, God, that we are here and that you are real and that you want a strong relationship with us, God. And tonight we're believing by faith, God, that you are always in control. You are the sovereign Lord. Even when we feel out of control, you are there. So Lord, we're praying tonight, God, that we could focus our hearts on you, that we would hear the word of the Lord, that we would hear your voice. God, that we would be assured once again that you are with us, that you have a plan, that you have a purpose, that God, you're a God who wants to do miracles. You want to perform wonders in our life, in our family. Lord, we thank you, God. And I pray that by your spirit, you would assure every heart here tonight. And Lord, we receive this challenge to remember. We receive the challenge to never forget what you have done. And that how important it is to witness about that to the world around us. And that we would maintain the fear of the Lord in our own life. And Lord, that we would pass along the stories of faith to our children. That is our responsibility that you have given to us, God. And I pray for each and every one of us that we would take that responsibility seriously. That we would be obedient to it. That you would have the glory. That faith would not be lost. But faith would build and grow from one generation to the next. And God, that we continue to live in all that you promised us. What a waste it would be to forget and to wander away and to squander the time. Help us now, Lord. And if we have been wandering, Lord, we come back to you right now. How many of you would say that tonight? Maybe you've been wandering a little bit from the Lord, even you that are watching online right now, maybe God's just speaking to your heart. And you've been wandering away a little bit, kind of off in your own little wilderness or maybe even questioning what's happening in your life. If that's you, would you just make a commitment right now to God? 
say, Lord, I hear you. I'm coming back to you right now. I'm tired of wandering around. Lord, I affirm my faith right now that you're in control. God, I want to come back and I want to be right where you want me to be. Forgive me, Lord. Cleanse my heart. Reassure my spirit and strengthen me now. Remind me of all the things that you have done that I might testify and praise your name. I want the world to know that you're a God worth worshiping. I want the family to know that you're a God worth serving. I want my children to believe in you and to fear you forever. So Lord, help me to do the same. Help me to fear your name, Lord. That people would know you're real. Yes, Lord. We commit ourselves to you in this place and those watching this video. Together we commit ourselves to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to serve you. Amen.